Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's very special episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Leila Latif. We're coming to you live from the London Film Festival where we recorded this. First up, there's The White Lies of David Jenkins and Hannah Strong talking about their top LFF picks. And we had three very exciting and very cool filmmakers coming to join us to talk about their films that are also going to be showing at the festival. First up, there was Horde, in which seven-year-old Maria and her mother live in their own loving world, built on sorting through bins and collecting shiny rubbish. One night, their worlds fall apart, and we join Maria a decade later, living with her foster mother. There was also In Camera, we follows Aiden, a young actor who is in a cycle of nightmarish auditions. After he receives many multiple rejections, Aiden takes it upon himself to find a new part to play. And finally, there was Ha. Jeff is stranded in Budapest, and so spends a day reckoning with past and present lovers, as well as in a strange family. So I hope you enjoy the show. It was a really fun one to record, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Should I just quickly say what, what's happening here? Just so people know. Just so I know. Yeah, I don't know. So welcome, everyone. This is, a, 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 as advertised, live podcast recording of, of a special Truth and Movies that we're doing in partnership with London Film Festival. And it's in our, our gallery space that they've uh, lovingly given us, that w- where we've got a little exhibition going on. And the way that, that, that we're going to do it today, it's, not, it's, it's live in that we're recording it live, but it's not being transmitted live. So, you know, and the way we're going to do it is um, for the first sort of 15 minutes or so, we're going to just have a little general chat about the London Film Festival and what we've seen and what we're seeing and, uh, and give a few sort of personal recommendations. And then we're going to invite some filmmakers up and me and me and Hannah are going to shuffle stage left and and Layla is going to take up the 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 the, the reins there and 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 have a have a sort of more bit more of a sort of lengthy in-depth and hopefully hilarious panel discussion I'll try uh, <laughs> but yeah over over to Layla yeah welcome welcome uh yeah this is very very exciting um you know being part of um london and being part of like the london film festival there's such a lot to celebrate at the moment there's so many exciting debuts that have happened this year and we've just got a really stacked group of people to you know to come and talk to us about their movies but also i'm very excited to talk to you guys about like all the other stuff that is happening um, so yeah, I guess I should do my regular intro. Hello, movie truthers! Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Leila Latif. 
I'm David Jenkins. And I'm Hannah Strong. On the show this week, we're coming to you live from the London Film Festival. We are in a beautiful space in uh, the Oxo Tower in the gallery where we can see all 100 issues of Little White Lies being displayed on the walls. I have my favourites. I won't say which because I don't want to pick between my children, but every single one, I, I genuinely... All of them are amazing. All of them are every amazing. Every single one. We have never put a bad film on the cover. All of them are amazing. One of the things that Little White Lies claims to be is uh, the world's most beautiful film magazine, and it, 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 it's not even close, is it? It's <laughs> like a selection of things. Can I just say, some? I can't remember who it was, but the somebody, Guardian said that somebody else said that. Yeah. The we, Guardian we, called We're not that. making that claim. Well, yeah. that would be... Uh, if, if people would like to say <laughs> that, then we welcome... The we, feedback. we believe it, but we don't make it. <laughs> well, I, you know, even as a freelancer who has uh, many kind of uh, you know split loyalties, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> able to say that that is that that is assured as a title. Um, so yeah, so David and Hannah are going to be sharing some of the highlights from the absolutely wonderful London Film Festival, and then we're going to be joined by three of the festival's most talked about up and coming filmmakers. We've got Cords, Luna Kamoon, Haz Ben Hecking, and in cameras Nikash Khalid. Um, so, David, do you want to go first? Um, Celluloid Underground, I believe, was your first pick. Yes, yes, I w- I'd love to talk about this. This, th- this was a film I, 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 I'm, I'm, I don't think people listening to this podcast I will get a chance to see this because it's already played in the festival, but that doesn't mean that I shouldn't talk about it and maybe hopefully get them to keep an eye out for it when it appears elsewhere. But it's a film by uh, the Iranian filmmaker Ashan Koshbat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like a documentary, and it's it's really intriguing. It's um, it's a very personal film. Um, Ashan grew up in, in Iran just after the revolution, and um, pre-revolution there was a there was a kind of thriving film culture in Iran. Although you know restricted in some ways, like the, you know the kissing kissing scenes were edited out of films. Uh, just to keep the kind of moral standards of the nation high. And, um, TikTok would approve. In, in, <laughs> what happened was when a film had finished its run in the cinemas, it was it, the, the, the actual celluloid, the reel, was, was delivered to a kind of film executioner with a, with a literal axe who would chop it up because I think that was very much a kind of... Uh, it had to be something quite sort of physical and, you know, proof that it had been, like, you know... The, the celluloid's been chopped, it can't be used anymore. Even though you could, you know, someone could probably spice it back together again. But it turned out there was this guy... Uh, so, so when the revolution happened, there was a, there was a hope that, that things would be more liberal and there would be a more kind of openness to Western culture, but that was, the opposite happened. And actually, like, ownership of films was largely banned, according to the film. And the film is about Eshan's encounter with a, with a guy who he... Uh, he has he's, he's he's at university. He runs this film club, and he has this encounter with a guy who he's, who says who, who who says, "Oh, I've got loads of films on 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 film on celluloid." And he's like, "Oh my god, I can't believe it! Like, we've we've had to be showing things off off of like battered VHS and whatnot." And he's like, "Oh, I'll send you some. Like, I'll smuggle them in some bags of rice, and you can show them at your film club." And it turns out that this so he goes to meet this guy eventually, and uh, it turns out that the guy has like a couple of like basement like really really dingy basement flats in in Tehran full of film cans where he and it turns out that he has been a kind of very surreptitious almost sort of like you just he he was grabbing the films before they were chopped and keeping them and saving them. them and saving them yeah and that and it's and the film is about Eshan's own 
sort of cinephile awakening and being in this world, be, like being surrounded by the, you know, a near complete history of, of like, you know, early Hollywood cinema, silent cinema, uh, Russian, Japanese, like Asian cinema, like all, all the films that had kind of played in, in, in Iran and kind of not being able to do anything with them, not being able to take them out of this basement, but having this tiny little Cinerola machine. I can't remember what they're called, the things that you feed the, the, the celluloid through, just watching all these films. So, and this is, this is the, doc, I've, I've kind of told you the story, mm. but I think telling the story is, is kind of recommendation enough for the film. And it's got lo- loads of amazing, like Eshan's actually the uh, uh, artistic director of Bologna Il Cinema Travato Film Festival, which is a uh, festival uh, based on like vintage archive films and restorations. And he's just got incredible, his, his, his taste is impeccable. You've got these clips from Ir- Iranian films from like pre-revolution time that are just like spine tinglingly amazing. And you think, oh my God, there's this whole world of, of films that have yet to be properly kind of rediscovered and he's kind of giving you little tasters of them from what he was learning when he was was growing up so uh, yes Sold. So, yeah. <laughs> packed um, a lot in there sorry hannah i mean less of a kind of like lower profile title um yeah there's this film called poor things that i've heard is like reasonably good yeah you know it's good <laughs> We, we've had the fortune of seeing it just before we went to Venice and are both very invested, I think, in this film doing well. That makes it sound like we're shareholders. We're, we're not shareholders. We're just shareholders in horny babies coming I'm, to screen in weird ways, yes. I've bought stock in Yorgos. He is my, like, racehorse, and I'm, I'm betting it all on him. No, um, yeah, I've seen this film twice now. Um, it's just, like, for those who aren't aware, I'm sure that a lot of people listening will be, but... Um, it's this kind of Frankenstein story about a young woman who um, dies by suicide and is brought back to life by this mad scientist who's literally called God. And he transplants the brain of her unborn child into her body in order to resurrect her. And it's a kind of like a coming of age story of her rapidly uh, cycling through her development I guess uh, intellectually and kind of discovering the world and um, yeah I was very excited about this one having read the incredible novel it's based on and being a long time Yorgos Lanthimos fan I think he's just such a wonderful filmmaker and it didn't disappoint I'm so glad that it's showing at London Film Festival because I think it is I mean it sounds like really like wanky cinephile thing to say but like it's just really one to see in the cinema um, because it is like it's it's spectacle it's big and bold and beautiful and weird and delightful and it has this incredible like discordant sound design and it's just like exactly what I want when I go to the movies with a big audience I want to kind of have that like falling in love experience and I spoke to Yorgos in Venice and he said about the film and about the car- this character of Bella Baxter he said we all fell in love with her whilst we were making the film and I just thought that's such a sweet thing to say about a character that you're telling a story about and yeah it, it feels very special to me um the parasocial relationship with poor things but um yeah I'm excited that so many people are going to get to see it here and get to talk about it and have that same like romance that I have very much had with this film I know it, it, it's a very special one I mean not to go to kind of inside cinema we did have friends that were kind of working on it um far in advance and they were telling us like we think people might hate this one <laughs> yeah no, they were like there's no. gonna be so much discourse and um actually yeah 
it's been kind of great seeing people embrace it and embrace this like young woman who is going on this like quite I mean, in some places, very dark journey, you know, she's learning kind of what it is to be a woman in the patriarchy, in kind of the, this repressive atmosphere that like challenges the idea of like female sexuality and female wanting just generally kind of like wanting a career, wanting to do things with your life, wanting to see the world. And yeah, it's that kind of like, you know, thematic side of things is really beautifully illustrated but also just for a kind of craft nerd like the craft of the film is so exquisite and obviously anyone that's seen Yorgos Santos' previous films like knows he's very much like he picks a team who know their shit with regards to costume design and production design everything but everything in it is just so imaginative and so kind of exciting visually it really is like feast for the senses has been kind of like really you know it's it's one of those like cinephile terms that you get banned from putting in reviews because everyone uses it but it really is like even having now seen it twice there's so many just like delicious little details i want to dig into and i always find with his films like with the favor i had this and with poor things the costume design is just like everything i aspire to be in my life i'm i'm not but i i I wish I could be. I wish I could wear the outfits that Emma Stone is wearing in this film. Well, a lot of shears, so that would be quite risque. Um, <laughs> David, what about Baltimore? And that was your next pick. Baltimore, yeah, that's uh, that's a film uh, by uh, two Irish filmmakers, Joe Lawler and Christine Malloy, uh, starring Imogen Poots, and it's a it's it's a kind of biopic thriller about a woman called Rose Dugdale, who I guess she was a slight slightly a, a fringe figure within the sort of story of the troubles and kind of fascinating in that she she was born as a kind of home counties english heiress who would you know be be was taught like fox hunting and and all, all sorts of kind of blue blood activities when she was growing up and then had this kind of class realization and just you know very quickly decided to like would sort of despised herself and her and her and her family and uh wanted to you know remove herself from her you know wanted to sort of like get as far away from her class as possible it was a kind of disease that she was trying to sort of excise and in doing so she went on a uh like a kind of marxist uh, training course in cuba and then came back and decided she wanted to dedicate herself to the cause of the ira after seeing the the the, the bloody bloody sunday massacre on tv and this film is about an episode in which she uh, masterminds an art heist at a, uh, a, a big stately home in County Wicklow. And um, it's, it's a bit like... Um, there was a film that came out earlier in the year called How to Blow Up a Pipeline, very which was film. a kind of you know, eco-terrorist procedural film. And this is very similar f- uh, film about like looking at Rose Dugdale but looking at the kind of... Minutia, the, the kind of moral minutiae of activism and, you know, what this process actually entails. Like the, and it's, you know, it, it, it shows this, sort of this heist as being rather grim and depressing in, in, at the end of the day. Uh, like, you know, you've got these kind of old, like older, older posh people who, are, who you're kind of ha- having to sort of yell at who don't, just don't know what's happening. And the filmmakers are, are, are just... Con- I just, you know, I'm constantly... Uh, interested and inspired by their films and this this is i think this is something a little bit more kind of like i mean i guess like their films in the past have been on more of the sort of arty end of the spectrum Mm -hmm. um and and you know they're they're sort of really influenced by like antonioni and things like that but this this one is a bit more of a kind of 
it's a it's more of a sort of straight thriller but with lots of light jacket edges and yeah Imogen Poots who I just I, I'm always a big fan of I'm always a bit I'm, I'm, she's sort of someone I'm like she's always good even if the film's bad which is which is quite regular that, that's, such, that's such a mess up compliment but um, it's better than, than being always bad even if the film's good yeah which is what we were saying Lily James was earlier <laughs> <laughs> um, you put her on blast <laughs> Uh, Hannah, so once people have gotten past that kind of grim and depressing tale, um, Chicken Run 2 is what you suggest. Let's fucking go. Uh, yeah, no, I'm really outing myself as a hardcore cinephile in this podcast. Um, Chicken Run is a very, very near and dear film to me. Uh, it's the first film I remember seeing at cinema. I was on a beanbag at the Sheffield showroom and I cried like a baby. I was a baby, but like I was so viscerally upset by Chicken Run. I refused to eat meat for 10 years. Uh, and then I went, I moved to Germany and couldn't not eat meat because they didn't know what vegetarian was. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's been a long time coming. They've been working on this film forever. Um, it's not without its kind of controversy. Obviously, I think that justice for Nadia <laughs> and uh, the kind of recasting of uh, an iconic chicken roll in Ginger has upset me. But um, I'm very excited to see kind of where we pick up with the gang. It's been billed as a kind of James Bond-esque take on things. Obviously, the original Chicken Run was a kind of great escape riff. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just love what Ardman do. I think they're kind of we've been talking about British filmmaking I think they're one of the great British exports and uh, yeah I mean I'm jazz my mum has chickens so I'm excited to go home and report to them about their their countrymen and you know give them some tips on smashing the patriarchy Um, yeah she she named two of them after chicken round characters so like it's heavily invested in, in this for me well, I, I truly believe that there is no such thing as a guilty pleasure. We should just take our pleasure. No, I'm not guilty about it. Not at all. <laughs> pure pleasure. Yeah, pure pleasure for chicken run. Um, <laughs> David, but you're next with a slightly heavier title again. I do feel like there's a strange kind of uh, theme erupting. Uh, David, evil does not exist. Evil does not exist. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, uh, um, Tell that, that to the chickens. So that's that's a new <laughs> film by uh, Risuki Hamaguchi. I, I, I'm probably mis- massively mispronouncing that. I'm afraid, but the the director of, of Drive My Car, which went surprisingly almost all the way to Oscar glory, um, which is... Again, down with faint praise. Um, No, that's not faint praise. (laughs) Almost all the way. It's surprising because the film's good. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm dissing the Oscars, not the film. Great film. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's it's his new film. It was made... The soundtrack was made first, and he he basically wrote the film inspired by the soundtrack. Uh, It's a kind of... A, a, a sort of like almost folk horror-y thing where you have a group of people living in the countryside very very attuned to the to nature and the and the and the land and water and the animals and welfare and all that and and then you've got this like uh glamping company who want to like build a glamping campsite right in the middle of it and Advertising company that want to build a garden pink. Well, campsite. yeah, so they're, they're, no, they're a talent agency. Talent agency, sorry, uh, and you it's something like absurd. But yeah, it's like they're a talent agency, and they want to. They basically, as a as a scheme to get hold of um, pandemic funds, <laughs> they they they're building a glamping uh, concern. Um, so, and it's about the tension that arise arises from the two, these two very kind of conflicting types of people, and. 
it's really like you know it's very it's a very tense film like I think you you guys both see it in Venice yeah mm. yeah it's a, I, I mean I found it like very I mean just completely um, compelling and like really sort of in in just just watching these like awkward conversations between like the city and the country folk but it's done in a, done in a way that was quite fresh I've never been know. more invested in the outcome of a town planning meeting than well yeah there's like, a, there was a, a really, very really, long really conversation really about drains yeah, <laughs> it's, really, it's really if good you, if you love septic tanks <laughs> this is the and the placement thereof you, you will love this film but then it has like a like that so you, you it's a really a really great film and then it has this like Wowzer ending, which I think you, you know you're getting the kind of the first ninety minutes, which everyone can just agree on as being great, and then you get the last twenty twenty minutes or so, which everyone can be like fighting about. So yeah. that's my take. Well, yeah, um, <laughs> I will be on the right side of history in that fight. I will not uh, divulge which side I will be on. I mean, pro, pro. I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm, you know, I have guys. What if evil did exist? That's 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 kind of the the, the title card made me laugh a lot because it comes in like really slow and it's like evil does exist and then the knot comes in and I was like oh not, not since evil dead rise titles <laughs> came out of the lake have we seen such a reminder that evil does exist. Um, and finally, Hannah, you wanted to talk to us about sky peels. Yeah, yeah. I um, another British debut. Uh, this one's by Moin Hussein and it was another Venice premiere that I saw and left me in floods of tears which you wouldn't expect from a film about motorway service stations or maybe you would i don't know people's experiences of the m65 um but yeah it's about this young man who works the night shift in a burger bar at a motorway service station and he receives news that his um estranged father has passed away and it's kind of like him unpacking that and kind of trying to deal with who his father was and kind of why their relationship was the way it was and also just kind of dealing with a lot of upheaval in his life and I've got a real kind of investment in films that are some in some manner like neuro about or neurodivergent coded wow that was a mouthful and this for me is like one of the most kind of interesting but also like accurate portrayals of like how it is to move through the world as a neurodivergent person and on top of that how to how we deal with grief and as someone who my dad is alive but I haven't seen him in a very long time I found that that kind of like sadness and guilt and mystery was really like kind of got me right in the heart and yeah I just think it's really beautiful really imaginative film and really wanted to give it a shout out so people can kind of keep an eye on that and I believe it's still yet to show at this festival but um, also will very likely be out in the kind of coming year so keep an eye I don't know what day it is I'm seeing <laughs> after all of um, these festivals it's only day like, three of the festival and we're already like yeah. oh I've been here a thousand years but well, yeah. it, I mean it, 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 it's it's a kind of it's an enviable thing that it's just like there's so much great stuff out there that you just exhaust yourself because you want to take in all of it and have every mm. conversation and then dissect it for hours and hours afterwards but um, yeah thank you both so much for giving us some uh, LFF highlights and recommendations I mean a very very worthy group of films and yeah excited to talk to some more exciting filmmakers Um, so yeah, I'd like to welcome to the front. Um, we've got Hordes, Luna Carmoon, Haas, Ben Hecking, and in cameras, Nikash Khalid. Um, 
Hello. I love how we really don't look like we've picked a dress code at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah, in the spirit of Little White Lies 100th issue, one of the things that we did was we asked a lot of incredible filmmakers about like what their origin story was. What was the moment where they decided that they needed to make movies? I mean, what are your origin stories? Um, Scooby-Doo. Banger. Yes, the 2002 version. I remember seeing that when I was like seven and being like... Well, it's a shame because they cut out all of the gay stuff from that one. I think... I watched it recently and it's like, it's a quite risky film. It feels like a film about friendship under late capitalism, but I think I view everything through that lens. Yeah. Wow, you've made me want to go and see Scooby-Doo, uh, Scooby-Doo again. It seems like a quite like adult years. film. Wow. Yeah. It's very sexy, actually. Yeah. Sexy. It is surprisingly sexy, yeah. She pulls her face and it just stretches out. That did something Are to we me. Are we talking about the one with... Um, with <laughs> yeah, like, like yeah. A, with, with, with that lot. That we're Sarah rabid. Michelle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the best casting of all time, too. This is not where I thought this was going to go. I thought we were going to have a lovely story about, like, an aunt who bought you, like, a... <laughs> I, I mean, I do love to bring the low culture. I just feel like, <laughs> you know... No, fair enough. Actually, looking back, that film did stuff to me as well. Um, ben, what um, about you? I did watch Cruel Intentions at the same time as that. I think Sarah Michelle Gellar is the origin story for yeah. a lot of our a, a lot yeah. of stuff for many yes. people. Uh, so, so mine was actually um, the, uh, Paul Simon, um, as in the musician Paul Simon. Uh, on Graceland, there's a song, and I can't remember the name of the song. Um, but there's a line in it where he says, uh, "I met you at the cinematographer's party," and um, yeah, I, was like, I, I was like, "I was like, oh, cool, the cinematographers, they have parties. I'm, I'm gonna. Look, what, what is a cinematographer?" And uh, and that is genuinely, I kind of thought, okay, I want to be, I want to be a cinematographer and have parties. So uh, that was my, that was my, my thing. But I also grew up in the countryside, and there was nothing to do. And I'm a lot, uh, I'm, I'm quite old actually now, but. Um, uh, it used to be that you could get from like six o'clock in the morning on BBC Two to about six pm on Channel Four, just flitting between the two channels, watching old films. So uh, as a totally unsporty um, eleven to fifteen year old, um, I basically spent every Saturday in my bedroom just watching old films, old, old black and white films. So uh, and that was kind of it, really. And then I'd go on the Sunday, I'd go out into the into the countryside and reenact the storylines and stuff like that. So I just kind of, yeah, that was it basically. What were you reenacting? I want to know. Uh, I don't really know to be honest with you. I sort of, you know, it'd be like, I mean, Where Eagles Dare was like a was a was a was a firm favourite of mine. Richard Burton and Clint Eastwood, and I used to like pretend that I was storming a, you know castle full of Nazis I mean it was a bit of an Indiana Jones style kind of childhood I guess really which is you know uh, I mean everybody needs to have that I think in their life you know um, kill some Nazis right I don't know I mean um, it feels like a controversial no it's not a controversial it's absolutely not a controversial thing to, oh, I'm just going to shut up now um, yeah, yeah, they're, they're surprising pro being kind to Nazi take that we didn't yeah, yeah. expect like okay, yeah. excuse me Nazis this is yeah. Lena, what about you? I have a few. My nan was a weird woman, and on like hot summer days, she would just make me watch like American TV movies. Like a lot of them, I'm chasing like Sybil with like Sally Field and just V.C. Andrews kind of 
yeah, a lot of white whales I'm chasing. And then constantly just, like, eating film from a young age and then not really realising until I was, like, 14 and I was in school and this girl came into my... who was in my drama class and she was like... I just found this film on the dark side of YouTube and this girl has sex in a bathtub. And I said, what's the name of it? And she was like, Doom Generation. And I bunked drama and I went home and watched Doom Generation on YouTube and um, just kept spiralling through the film, the film canon that is just disgusting, sickly movies that I just kept watching on the dark side of YouTube along with like, probably like, <laughs> what's the American TV? Jerry Springer, like just mad. <laughs> yeah, my baby's got free pacifiers. Does anyone remember that? YouTube <laughs> Yeah, that's sad. That's how I go into film. Yeah, no, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm weirdly connected to all three of these <laughs> stories. I was watching Graceland as a kid. I was also very into Sarah Michelle Gellar. And yes, weirdly, there were there were some dark spirals that involved Jerry Springer at the time. Um, <laughs> But, like, not to... I mean, your films are about so much. They encompass so many things. But, like, elevator pitch. What would you say that your films are about? Do you want to go first? I don't know. <laughs> um, I'd say it's a, it's a kind of horror film about neoliberal representation politics. Or a young artist navigating late capitalism. But that's not very, like, sexy, is it? I need to make it sexier. Well, it depends what you're into. It does. <laughs> Someone's going to be into that. Cut the mics off. <laughs> ben, what about you? Um, hmm. I, I want to say something that is equally in, as intelligent as that, um, but I don't think I can come up with anything. Um, I suppose really it's about um, grief and uh, or mis- misremembering past events. Ultimately, it's uh, it's a, a story about a, a woman who. Um, has a memory uh, which which she's believed for a really long time, and um, and uh, and she has misremembered this event, and it's it's the, the impact that that has had on on her life um, as it all unravels over a twenty four hour period. And Lena, I got I got lost in that. I was like, oh. yeah, no, that was beautiful. <laughs> I, was really lost. Um, I guess it's like a Tom and Jerry of past. It's like you know, it's a cat and mouse game of past meeting the present in sort of sickly and sweet shimmers and triggers really yeah I mean very profound I thought you guys were going to do like little plot summaries <laughs> but they're, um, they're, they're all very very um, fascinating films but I'm wondering were there, what were the like sparks that kind of originated the stories when you were coming with them was there a moment where you were like the nexus of the idea um, started I mean Luna should we start with you I don't know, I was not in a great headspace, so there was plenty of nexus and filth and all sorts happening in my head. Um, I don't know, I just it's no synchronicity that I wrote it in like the spring of 2020 when none of us knew what was happening and we were all in a weird limbo and to be honest, didn't want to be on planet Earth anymore and my brain just entered the vaults of the past and the memories started to just melt in with the present and... Um, I guess I just say I don't even know who wrote Hall. Like I kind of just felt like I was the vessel that just vomited it out, and it it was something that I wanted to just leave behind, and the new shopper find it. It just be this disgusting thing that they couldn't believe that um, this nice girl who once worked in CEX, like you know, left left behind in like a, a ribbon tied in a ribbon. But um, then it bloomed into something really healing and quite beautiful. But um, the nexus. I guess the past and 
losing all my sense of smell during COVID as well, and it's very like smelly, and I don't know. Uh, definitely that sense is opened up when you read the story of Hald and hopefully watch it but that definitely was part of it losing one sense and gaining another I guess yeah I mean not only can you almost smell the film but like you know when you can smell something so much you can taste it too mm. like yeah it's which that. is weird because that's what happened to me during Covid is I could sort of taste essences of the past mm-hmm. like when you smell when you smell something and you are shimmered or triggered back to the past I've kind of lost. I kind of lost that. I don't even have that often anymore. But I do taste it like an essence, or you know, like um, coppery smells in, in my mouth, which is what transforms me back now. Uh, ben, what about you? Where did the kind of seeds of the idea for heart come from? Um, <clears throat> so uh, uh, I, I actually wrote it for the lead actress, um, and we'd worked together on a short film, and uh, again, it was. I mean, I think probably like like lots of things that have come out over the last couple of years, it, it kind of grew out of COVID. It sort of grew out of a, um, what are we going to do? Like, you know, you, you suddenly had this time and then it was kind of a, well, you know, um, what, what are we going to do when it's all over? Um, and we worked together on a short and um, we really wanted to do something again. And she was working on a, um, on a big TV show in um, Budapest. And uh, so I trained as a cinematographer and she said, you should come over and, you know, we should do something in Budapest because it's the, the light's beautiful. You'll really, you'll really love being in Budapest. And we just started chatting about, I, I suppose, I mean, it's not really about um, her experiences or my experiences or anything like that, but there's kind of like a sort of common ground. There were things that she wanted to, things that I think she was going through in her life and um, her friends and, you know, that I'd sort of observed as well, uh, you know, about my friends and being at a particular age and stage in your life um, that we just I just sort of started writing this thing and um, <clears throat> I'd also I also wanted to make something so the first two films that I shot um, were, were done for a very low budget with really tiny crews and I really m- missed making films like that um, and it felt like obviously you know with Covid kind of being such a, a present thing it felt like a kind of going back and doing something in an almost documentary kind of style with a really tiny crew um, felt like that was possibly achievable rather than having to wrangle kind of like a large sort of crew. So um, we, we, we actually went out to, to film with, with six people and uh, the, day, the, the day before we started filming, the entire UK crew, apart from me and the lead actress, went down with COVID. Um, so uh, we had an entire Hungarian crew um, who came in and replaced them uh, literally at the 11th hour um, so yeah so th- that was kind of it, it sort of I don't really know where it came from I think it was just there were things that we wanted to explore um, and and uh, I think she's great so I wrote this project for her basically and you mean like it's so distinctive um Visually, like you shot it all on Super 8, was that always kind of part of the concept from 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 the beginning? Yeah, I can't I can't really remember where the idea to shoot on Super 8 came from um, exactly. I think uh, I, I mean I love shooting on film, um, and um, but it, it was kind of, so there was a kind of there were sort of multiple there is a there is a, a kind of a reason within the film for it to be shot on Super 8. I think um, it's about somebody who works in the film industry and it deals with memory and nostalgia and obviously Super 8 has a kind of a nostalgic memory sense kind of thing. It gets used a lot for flashbacks and stuff like that. It's this kind of dreamlike um, th- um, thing. So, so that worked. 
but it was also the camera was small enough that I could carry it around in a rucksack. And obviously, when you've got six people, then you know that's kind of if we shot it on sixteen mil or thirty five, then you'd have needed boxes and you know lenses and you know we'd have and basically we could fit everybody in one people carrier and all of our lights and all of our you know all of the camera. But we also shot it on digital as well, so we actually made two films, like not. Con- not consecutively well no sorry not not together not at the same time we weren't filming at, at the same time we'd shoot on we rehearsed and then we'd shoot the digital and then we swapped the cameras out and we shot on on Super 8 so we always had a backup because the cameras were um, <clears throat> uh, they're like 50 years old and um, we we went through three of them no four of them in total during the production they just broke down they don't like getting cold in Budapest and Budapest in February is pretty cold so uh, so yeah so it was a bit of a gamble basically yeah. you know you've sewed so, you've so, and now you're reaping yeah absolutely and it, and, it, and it is beautiful and I think as well we I wanted to kind of treat it as a, because it's used so much for flashbacks and music videos and things like that and it's and, you know and just kind of go okay well what does what does it look like if you put it within the, the mechanics of a, like a professional film shoot you know I mean it's almost like Soderbergh with his, you know with the iPhone the stuff that he's shot on iPhones is almost the same approach but kind of doing that with um, with with Super 8 which is kind of nuts but like you know it's um, it, it is it's beautiful it's it's it's, um, it's a really beautiful medium and it, I think it looks good projected I think it looks good projected um, so uh, yeah uh, Nakash I mean like your film very much feels of the present um, but like where, where did the idea of it in camera come from um, actually that was one of the core like intentions I wanted everything to feel like live mm-hmm. and I wanted to create a film that felt like it was happening like right now but like from shooting working backwards it was like eight years of thinking like I first had the idea eight years ago um, and I never really understand or know where ideas come from but at the core of it I knew I wanted to create a fairy tale and I, I knew that I wanted to talk a lot about um, kind of the horror of like identity politics mm-hmm. almost. And the core thing I had in my head was like, if you just like accept everything that's projected onto you as you like navigate the world, what would happen to you? And I think like acting and like the role of the actor was kind of like the perfect metaphor for that. So I kind of just like knew that my lead character was going to be an actor. It was going to be a fairy tale. And I had this like construction of what I wanted a script to be. There was like a side A and a side B and every scene was a track and it was like an album and there were these like interludes. Um, so I had this like desired story structure and this vague kind of like, but very clear atmosphere. And then in that time period, it was like constructing that and putting that all together. Yeah, I mean, you have this incredible lead actor in uh, Nabhad Rizwan. Yeah. Um, was it collaborative? Like, did you draw on, like, did he bring to it, like, the experiences he had as an actor? Yeah, super collaborative. Like, um, I see every actor I work with as, like, a co-author of that character. And Nabhan and me worked together for six months. And we went through every single scene together. We'd have these, like eight to ten hour long meetings where we would just like analyze the script and he would tell me lots about his experiences and I'd share my experiences and I would just keep rewriting the script in like a responsive way because I feel like a script should be this kind of like live document that you're like you're collaborating with all of these people and you 
I always want to like write 60% of a character and I'm like looking for 40% in the other person. So yeah, we, we completely developed that character from like how this person was going to walk to how this person was going to talk, the silhouettes of the wardrobe. Um, so it was, it was super collaborative, but I mean, that's why I want to make films. Like I love working with actors. I love that kind of collaboration. So even when there wasn't Naban, I was always kind of writing in this way where this character is kind of like a blank canvas. And I knew that I was going to kind of cast this other artist who was going to help me develop this character. I mean, yeah, he, he's incredible. But I think it's been like, I did, I was reading some stuff about the film um, earlier and they, they talked about like how, I mean, I loved it, but smart writers make me think better um, where, where it's like it's almost designed for like the attention span mm. that we've now humans have gotten into and it's not all right for kind of the cinema to assume that it has to be how it was in like when Citizen Kane was made because like our minds don't work in the same way I mean like how did you realize that yeah no this is something I would think about a lot like I'm really excited to see films from like kids born in the 90s and 2000s because I just think the grammar is different. Like how we navigate the world is different, whether that's things like the story structure of like three acts. I just don't think that's fit for purpose anymore. And like, I don't think the world is a neat way. Um, there's no neatness to our modern lives. So art should reflect that. And I feel like everything is so present. And then we live through a series of like distractions that I wanted kind of how I, how we all navigate the world to be, like, in the grammar of it. Because I think when you're making a film, you're, like, adding to the grammar of everything that's come before you. And I think it's really important to, like, question every single tool you inherit as a director and be like, is this for me? Is this my grammar? But I wanted this kind of, like, really, like, live kind of almost, like, ADD quality to the film because I just feel like that's more representative of... Of today. I mean, Luna, do you also kind of feel like we, where you actually not only want to make your own films, you actually want to kind of see the boundaries of what films should be like challenged? Yeah, I think. Um, I don't know. I just make I just make everything for like fourteen year old me. What I would have wanted to like illegally stream off Putlocker or you know. And I think yeah, hearing you speak about it in that way is that like, very much. Our brains do not function the way that they once was, and we are literally generation like I don't want to say watching redacted videos on like BBM at like aged eleven. Like the influx of information that our brains have had in comparison to like even my sister and my parents is like so. It's no wonder we're all being diagnosed with ADD now. Like even myself, that like you know people who went to my test screening were like. God, I have ADHD. And this is the first time I've watched a film in a really long time, and it feels kinetic. But that's only because it naturally is kinetic, because that is also how we, I just navigate the world and like ex- experience the world, like most of us do now. But yeah, I guess I don't know. I I think I, I work in an unorthodox way because I didn't go to film school. I just went straight to work. So the way that I work is just how it fits naturally to me and how, you know, I, I can't write a script straight away. Like, I can't just start writing a script. I can only ever do it from prose in writing a story, first of all. And Because I was just writing, like, a stream of consciousness. I can't, you know, a script to me is quite mathematical. It's quite strategic, whereas... You know, when you're writing the story out, I want to live in that stream of consciousness and just have it vomit out of me, whereas I don't feel like I can really do that if I just 
uh, write a script. So do you go back to the story when you when you're filming? Yeah. Do you kind of chuck the script out? No, it's or, fun- or, or do you stick rigidly with the script once it's once it's kind of in script form? So much of the story is just the meat of the script plus yeah. extra dialogue. But it's it's weird. Like when I got to the sort of like the last part of filming my film, like just for like a sort of emotional exorcism in a way, which makes sense to my film is that I did go back and read the story just for myself and I actually gave it to my lead actress, Sarah, and we read it together because she actually only ever got... She only had the beginning of the script anyway. She never knew where the story was going. Mm -hmm. So we sort of sat down together, like, before the sort of last couple of days and read through the story and, um, I don't know, just to travel the essence of that back into where we were, well, where I was in script. She had no idea where she was half the time. (laughs) But... um, yeah, I don't know. I think I kind of wish everyone got to make a film at like age twenty-five, like a conscription service. Like you have to make a film because we would just have so many different kinds of formulas of filmmaking and so many exciting uh, stories. But yeah, can't remember how I got from A to B. But yeah, but we're glad you did. <laughs> Here I am, vomit. <laughs> um, like both in terms of. Um, being at LFF and in terms of like the other stuff that you're seeing at LFF like what like Ben what does it mean to you to be here and then also is there anything that you've seen that has been inspiring well, I mean I, I mean this quite genuinely and I'm not I'm, I'm not blowing smoke up anybody's ass here but like actually sitting here listening to you two just saying what you just said about like I'd not really like I'd not thought about it I mean I'm probably I'm, I mean, I don't know how you both are, but I'm probably ten years older than you. And like, so, and as I said, my my growing up experience was so, um, you know, it is it is sort of formed in those sort of forties and fifties and sixties and stuff like that. So it's actually like, and you know, so I sort of, um, yeah, God, maybe I need to start watching stuff on like, you know, more stuff on TikTok and like, you know, <laughs> try and find a new language. Um, but um, I, I just think I think like to answer your question. LFF is, is, is amazing. It's brilliant being here. I mean, it's uh, I've been coming to the festival since 2007 and it's always... I mean, I'm not from London, I'm from Yorkshire originally, but, um, you know, I've been living here since since 2007 on and off and uh, so it feels incredible to be to be in this festival amongst, like, all of the films, like, filmmakers that I've looked up to for years and um, it's just mad. I mean, it's like I'm, I'm still in a state of shock. I think, and um, and I think I think we're in a really, you know, it's been a really difficult couple of years. You know, you've had COVID, and then with the strikes this year, which are, you know, hugely important, and um, you know what they're fighting for and what the crews are fighting for as well. It's like you know, it it feels like there's this huge sort of seismic shift going on, and um, but it's been. Like, what an amazing year for, for, for British cinema. Like, it kind of feels like we're sort of going through this boom period and, like, I hope that kind of continues and it feels like some of the rule books need to be sort of torn up and then we need to think about different ways of getting out there and, and making stuff, I suppose. But um, I think it's really exciting. Like, I think it, we're, we're in an exciting period, and you know, right now and hopefully once the, the politics have kind of sorted themselves out a bit more, then it'll be even more exciting, right? I mean, I don't know. What do you guys... Think. Like, do you feel I like feel, it's a good period, or do you think we're about to hit, hit a brick wall? I feel like not enough people talk about like how young cinema is as a medium. Mm-hmm. Like, we should be breaking it. We should be trying things, yeah. and sometimes it's not always going to work. But like, it's I love going to see a film and being like, "Whoa, I didn't know you could do that." 
And I think I'm always chasing that feeling of like, to me, like it's always like the desire to like articulate something inarticulate. And that is a trial and error thing that you have to try to communicate things in different ways. So I think what's going on right now is like people are trying to rework and figure out what the grammar of filmmaking is, just as we're trying to figure out what modern life is. And that's yeah. how it should be, though. It's like, yeah, I remember being at a, a panel last year and um, uh, Michael Winterbottom had basically used his COVID lockdown period to interview a bunch of filmmakers and, you know, sort of analyse the films and talk about the difficulties of making your first film and moving on to your second film or your third film or your fourth film or whatever. And, and, and particularly with a focus in, in the UK. And, and I remember one of the guys on the panel was, was saying that, like, actually what he almost wants to be able to do is, like, go out and shoot something, come back, test it out, see if it works, go out, shoot something else, like, develop a little bit more, like, the, it, that it's... So maybe it's actually it's the form, the way that films are made needs to be kind of rethought as much as the actual stories themselves, that there's a different kind of way of kind of going out and exploring rather than kind of presenting something that's like a, a finance kind of package that, right, well, there, there's the film that you're going to end up with, you know, that it's kind of more exploratory because as you move through the different stages of, like, film production, like, the ideas change and they shift and they morph, right? And they, they kind of... Um, you know, but I don't know. I mean, maybe that's too. That's com- utopian. Com- well, yeah, it is. It's completely utopian, but you know. I I would adore that, but I don't see but. that happening. I don't see that happening unless you are Michael Winterbottom. Yeah, well. <laughs> well, maybe you are the next Michael Winterbottom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, like Horde is an incredible film. I mean, you were in Venice. Now you're at LFF. You're kind of coming into this festival with kind of the wind in your sails like you know you're a little bit on a victory lap do you, do you feel that coming into that this festival uh i don't know it's all been quite surreal i, I don't feel like i've hit the ground yet it's all been quite i think because we're such a family like the film is such a family like my cast and crew literally from my paramedic <laughs> concert to you know my cast and that it always felt really mellow like even being in Venice just felt like I was just going out to dinner with my family and just not it didn't ever feel like it feels surreal that people are witnessing it for themselves but it, it feels quite mellow in the way that we're all so connected that you know like I was with my cast earlier and went to see bike riders and just feels like a little family that I just want I want my like little fast spin the like circus that I pull and push people <laughs> in and out and rotate them and that we can all just experience this thing together and I think that's all you ever have from making a film is the experience of making the film it doesn't matter what that film if it's good or bad all you ever have like when you're on that deathbed is that experience and my experience was as powerful as I hope you know when people feel the film that we made together and yeah joint vomited together <laughs> yeah well I mean thank the three of you so much for your films and also for being here today this was awesome your work is very exciting in a kind of year of cursed strikes and you know AI dominance this gives me hope for the future uh, yeah so a round of applause for Luna Kamu Bad Hacking and the Cafe <laughs> Thanks very much for tuning in. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guests this week were Hannah Strong and David Jenkins, as well as the filmmakers Luna Carmoon, Ben Hecking, and Nakash Hardard. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Bob Stankus. <laughs>